Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Good morning. Good to see each of you today. As we continue in our series, New Year's Revelations, Jesus, 2018. And if you remember, Pastor Ed first started the series by introducing to us the big question with Jesus is why? Why did he come into the world? And why did he do what he did? And as he shared with that, then others came along as well. And uh, Pastor Dave Doms, he came and he shared with us on how to know Christ, the living word. That the word became flesh. And the way that we can learn to know the living word is to accept the challenge that he gave each one of us. Do you remember what it is? Cover to cover. Reading the word of God this year from cover to cover at least once. That way we can get to know the Lord even better yet. And then Pastor Mike, he shared with us that there's hope for the margins. That those people who have been marginalized in this world do have mercy and justice and hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. And then last week, Pastor Tyler shared with us life through death. How that we need to die to ourselves so that we can live for Christ. Now all of these things are a beautiful unfolding picture that we have of something that they call progressive revelation. And God's progressive revelation started way back in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve. And God has shown throughout history progressively who he is and to show his truth to people. And we're going to continue in that theme as we come today. We're going to come to a passage in John chapter 11. Which if you're familiar with that, that's the story of Lazarus. Now Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary, knew Jesus. They knew him very well. They had spent a lot of time with him. And as we approach this story of Lazarus, in this account, Jesus is going to progressively reveal more important truth about who he is and why he came into the world. And as we follow along, we're going to see, and if you have a Bible, you can follow along with us. If you don't have a Bible, we have some back there. If you put up your hand and do one of these, we have some ushers that would be glad to bring you a Bible so that you could use one. I'm going to be putting the scriptures up here as well. And another thing I'd like to remind you, if, if at any time during this service, during this message, 
that you feel a burden that needs to be met. We have people back there at the cross that are more than happy, willing, and waiting there to pray with you and to pray for you. So please, if the Spirit of God speaks to your heart and you feel the urge, go back there and follow the leading of the Lord. So we're going to approach this passage and see some beautiful, wonderful things that Jesus is going to reveal about himself. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, I don't know about you, but most of us, what would your first reaction be? Oh, I'll be right there. Uh, where, where are they at? Uh, I'm, I'm on my way. And we would be rushing to them. But what we see, when Jesus, when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus didn't drop and run, but he waited. Because he knew in God's sovereign plan that there was an event that was going to take place that would give God honor and glory and show the people a little bit more progressive revelation, a little bit more of who Jesus is. So he waited two more days. And then, verse 7, he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now his disciples said, wait, you want to go back to Judea? Don't you remember we were there the other day and they tried to stone you? And Jesus said, in putting things into perspective, that there's a time and a place for everything and the time is not now, so I'm not even worried about it, basically. But in John chapter 11, where we pick up, starting at verse 11, we see that after he had said this, he went on to tell them, his disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. 
Now, if you're taking notes, I'm going to be jumping in with a little outline from time to time so you kind of know where my thoughts are going. So Jesus goes after the fatality of Lazarus, after he has died. So Lazarus is already dead. And in verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. That's where they were. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Now it was commonplace in that day and age that when Jewish people had a death in the family, that a lot of the people that knew them or were acquaintances would go and spend a lot of time with them in their grief and their mourning. In other words, they would go and try to be a comfort. And sometimes the only comfort you can bring is to cry with somebody that's gone through a loss. Now that doesn't sound like a big thing, but I'll tell you, it's a profound thing. There was times when I was in ministry when I had to go and break news to people. And there were times that I... (laughs) Doctors would say, You're, here, come on, i got to go. And they'd go break the news that their departed one, they terminated things and it didn't work. And then the people start to fall apart and the doctor says, well, here's Lou, he pastors a church in town here. I'm going to leave him with you. Thanks, Doc. But I didn't smile. And there were times in the situation it was so difficult that before I spoke any words, I just wept with them. Because you could feel the pain. You could feel the hurt. And you could realize a little bit of what they were going through. That's what the Jews did at that day. So as we pick up in our narrative, Martha heard that Jesus was coming and she went out to meet him and Mary stayed home. So next we're going to see Jesus as he consoles Martha and Mary. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at that day. Because most of the devout Jews of that day did believe in the resurrection. That one day the dead would be raised up and be a part of God's millennial kingdom, as it were, of God's kingdom in heaven. And a Messiah would be on the throne. But it was in that final day, as she mentioned. In other words, at the end of time as we know it. And the Jews believed in that. 
But Jesus is about to change things. Because Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? He just revealed something profound that she would never have imagined. In her wildest imagination, she couldn't picture this. He said, I am the resurrection. It's not just an event at the last time. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you live and die, you won't fully die. (laughs) And if you die, you're still going to fully live. Because in Jesus, he is the resurrection and the life. Uh, And then he asked her that most important question to her. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Another piece of progressive revelation has just been given to her. And the other disciples needed to know this as well. And they were going to see and learn as Jesus had told them. After this, Martha said this. She went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and basically said the same thing Martha did. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now that word in the original is a very interesting word, troubled. It means to have a problem. It also means to be pained. It means to be angered. It's that whole gambit of emotions that people go through in a crisis type of situation when they're confronted with it. It's that feeling that kind of just wraps itself around you and you feel like you're being choked and it's just like, oh. You've probably been in those kinds of situations in life. I know I have. Having this almost a year ago, at the end of this month, it'll be a year that I retired from almost 19 years of critical care, flight paramedic stuff. And even before that, being involved in emergency medical services through volunteer fire departments and all the other things, 
Believe me, I've seen things that have caused me to be deeply moved and troubled. There are things in my mind that I wish weren't there, but I know by God's providence He put me there to go through those things, to be able to help people. But there were so many times that I was deeply moved and troubled. Perhaps the greatest time was when we were in Homer. Some of you who have been here a long time probably remember Ryanair. And they had a crash down in Homer of a, of a Beechcraft 1900 with 21 people on board. I was on the Homer Volunteer Fire Department. I was Assistant Chief of Emergency Medical Services. And I drove the first unit to the scene. All we knew that there was an aircraft down at the airport. So we had to go look for it. And I said, well, they're, they're, I can't see the plane we're looking for, but there's one over here that's all messed up. <laughs> so I pulled the rig up close. Fire truck was behind me, and they pulled up. The, the chief was in the back of the ambulance that I was driving. She said, you're, you're trained in rescue and EMS, so... I'm going to put you in charge of entry and then triage. Okay. So here we had this plane. It was fully intact. It was on the ground, collapsed wheels, and it, it was kind of dented up a little, I guess you could say. But we struggled to get the door open, the forward door, and we finally got it open, and, and we gained entrance and access into it, and I had my flashlight, and I was fully expecting to go... Everyone slow down, one person at a time. (laughs) But I saw carnage like I never could have imagined. And I was the first one to look into that aircraft and then holler back to the incident commander, we have a mass casualty situation. Enact the mass casualty plan, which she did. And we began our work. And it was a long night, to say the least. By the end, by the next day, there were only three people who had survived. Eighteen of them had perished. With the most horrific injuries, I'm not even going to go into details because I don't want to give you nightmares. But after things were done and we got things cleared... And everyone went home. We knew we'd have to be back first thing in the morning for the NTSB and help with their investigation and help at the scene. That I went home. My family was in bed. But I wasn't going to sleep because I was deeply moved and I was troubled. I felt like I was being choked. There was anger. There was hurt. There was compassion. There was pain of every emotion that you can imagine. And I even prayed and told God. I said, God, I'm mad that this happened. And it was just something that was gripping me. That's what Jesus was feeling as he saw Martha and then Mary and the others weeping He was deeply moved. 
and troubled in spirit. Now we're going to have a little theology lesson so that we can fully understand the impact of this. Jesus, as we know, the Son of God, God-man, God incarnate in the flesh, the Word that became flesh. Let me explain exactly what that means. Here's your theology lesson. We're going to talk for a moment about his kenosis. It's not a big glorifying kind of a glowing term, as it were. It's simply from the Greek word that's found in Philippians 2, verse 7. Kenuo, which means to empty. More specifically... Philippians, Paul tells us, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Kino'o, emptied. He emptied himself to nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So he emptied himself of some of his divine attributes, as it were. God is spirit. He's omnipresent. Jesus was not omnipresent. (laughs) Because those are some of the things that he emptied so that he could take on human likeness. Take on true humanity. And it says in there that he made himself nothing. Kino'o. By taking the very nature of a servant. Taking the nature. That, that's the Greek word morphe. Morphosis is where we get that word. And this is what he did. He emptied himself and locked himself into time and space. But his nature was still deity. He was still fully God, yet fully man. This is the next part of your theology lesson. This is called the hypostatic union. Now in the medical field, the goal of practicing medicine is to have people in homeostasis. That means a good balance. Things get out of balance, you get sick. They get you into balance, you get to go home from the hospital because you're better. That's the status that a person is. And Jesus was what theologians known as the God-man was in a hypostatic union. What that means is he was one person with two natures. He was fully God. Yet he was fully man. But with the hypostatic union, those two merged to be Jesus, the Son of God. Fully God, but fully man at the same time. Now, this Jesus was deeply moved and troubled Because the Lord is experiencing the emotions 
of a man in the face of the sting of sin and death and the grave. Remember, the results of the curse, the sting of sin, death and the grave, is why Jesus came into the world to conquer that. But now, as the God-man, his humanity is all of a sudden hit with those same emotions that we go through. The same emotions that we feel. Now there's many passages that talk about this. The, his hypostatic union in that he's the God-man and experiences things. Particularly in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. There's many other passages, but we don't have time. The Lord is experiencing the emotions of a man in the face of the sting of death, sin and death in the grave. Now, what does this have to do with the death of Lazarus? Frankly, everything. That's why he's there. Because as we continue in verse 30 through 37, we see that Jesus does something. And this is where we find the shortest verse in the entire scriptures. The shortest verse in the Bible John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. He could not hold back the tears. His spirit was moved and troubled. He was gripped. Now he wasn't it's not the same word in the Greek that's used of Mary and Martha and those others who were mourning. They were wailing that uncontrollable cry that you feel when you just got the news that a loved one has died. It just cut your knees off and you can do nothing else but, but grieve and weep. This word is a completely different word, but it means that you have those emotions like Jesus had. His spirit was moved and troubled to the point where he could see what sin and death in the grave was doing and how it was affecting people, and he was feeling it now. And even though he was moved, tears started coming down his cheeks. Tears were flowing. In the Greek, they put that in the aorist tense, which means at a moment in time, like a snapshot in time, Jesus wept. Which when you think about it, in a snapshot of time, in this event, God cried. The shortest verse in all the scriptures. 
It's only two words, but these words speak volumes. Because the Lord is experiencing the emotions that you and I have. He felt the pain that you feel in the darkest moments of life like these. That's why Jesus can say, I know how you feel. I understand. In our most troubled times of life, Jesus knows. He's experienced those same emotions. The Son of God wept. And then as we continue, he said, where have they laid him? And they went. And Jesus, notice what, it, notice what he says here. Jesus, once more deeply moved. In other words, tears are still flowing. They're running down his cheek. Came to the tomb. And it was, a, it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there's a bad odor. <laughs> He's been in that grave for four days in the desert. <laughs> four days. He's going to smell. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Remember what Jesus had told him earlier? Remember what Jesus had said to Martha? Or, yeah, Martha. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now they could understand that he is the resurrection and the life. And they needed to know this because there was to come a time, not in the too distant future, that Jesus was going to be nailed on a cross at Calvary. And he was going to shed his blood for you and for me on that cross. And the disciples needed to progressively learn this 
And know this. Because God was preparing things for his own glory and honor. In fact, because of what Jesus did as resurrection and the life and would do in the future on that cross at Calvary, as we continue in that same passage, remember in Philippians, where he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. He continues in that, Paul does. He says, And in your relationship, one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's why the Bible says, Acts 4.12, Neither serve salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. For it's by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Remember what Jesus said to Martha? I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And I would just redirect that question to everyone who is here today. For everyone who hears this message. Do you believe this? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, why not? And if not, why not today? There are people back at the cross waiting to pray with you. And they would love to pray with you. There's always room at the cross. And as our worship team comes... Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this progressive revelation of Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. And we thank you, Father, that we can honor and glorify you and give praises to him who gave all so that we might enjoy your kingdom. And Father, speak to our hearts today and have your will in the name of Jesus. Amen.